Hey everybody and welcome back. Just a quick thank you to everybody who sent me some feedback of the last episode. I listened to everything and it was fantastic. So in keeping with that, this episode is just going to be the spoken word narration and then I'll be providing a copy of it to Prophetic Nightmares and they will produce uh, ambient music to put into an episode that'll come out sometime in the next few days if you'd like to check that out. Thanks again. Let's get to it. The Halfling's Gem, Chapter 12, Comrades Bruner found Canterbury treading water beyond the carnage of Pinochet's ship. Pinochet paid the young woman no attention, though. Far in the distance, the crew on his remaining ship, the bulky artillery vessel, had brought the fires under control, but had turned tail and sailed away with all speed it could muster. I thought you'd forgotten me, Canterbury said as the rowboat approached. You should have stayed by me side, the dwarf laughed at her. I've not the kinship with fire as yourself, Caterbury retorted with a bit of suspicion. Bruner shrugged. Been that way since the holes, he replied. Mightn't be me father's father's armor. Caterbury grabbed the side of the low riding boat and started up, then paused in a sudden realization as she noticed the scimitar strapped across Bruner's back. You've got the drow's blade, she said, remembering the story Drizzt had told her of his battle with the fiery demon. The magic of the ice-forged scimitar had saved Drizzt from the fire that day. Sure, and that's your salvation. Good blade, Bruner muttered, looking at its hilt over his shoulder. The elf should find it a name. The boat will not hold the weight of three, Pinochet interrupted. Bruner turned an angry glare on him and snapped, Then swim! Pinochet's face contorted, and he started to rise threateningly. Bruner recognized that he had taunted the proud pirate too far. Before the man could straighten, the dwarf slammed his forehead into Pinochet's chest, butting him over the back of the rowboat. Without missing a beat, the dwarf grabbed Caterbury's wrist and hoisted her up by his side. "'Put your bow on him, girl!' he said loudly enough for Pinochet, once again bobbing in the water, to hear. He threw the pirate at the end of a rope. If he don't keep up, kill him. Caterbury set a silver-shafted arrow to Talmeril's string and took a bead on Pinochet, playing through the threat, though she had no intention of finishing off the helpless man. They call me Bo the Heartseeker, she warned. Sure, and you'd be wise to swim. The proud pirate pulled the rope around him and paddled. No drow's coming back to this ship, one of Dordemont's crewmen growled at Drizzt. The man took a slap on the back of the head for his words and then sheepishly moved aside as Dordemont stepped up to the boarding plank. The captain studied the expressions of his crewmen as they surveyed the drow who had been their companion for weeks. What do you do with them? One sailor dared to ask. We've men in the water, the captain replied, deflecting the pointed question. Get them out and dry and throw the pirates in chains. He waited a moment for his crewmen to disperse, but they held their positions entranced by the drama of the Dark Elf. "'And get these ships untangled!' Dordemont roared. He turned to face Driz and Wolfgar, now only a few feet from the plank. "'Let us retire to my cabin,' he said calmly. "'We should talk.' Driz and Wolfgar did not answer. They went with the captain silently, absorbing the curious, fearful, and outraged stares that followed them in. 
Dordemont stopped halfway across the deck, joining a group of his crew as they looked to the south, past Pinochet's burning ship, to a small rowboat pulling hard in their direction. The driver of the fiery chariot that rushed across the sky, one of the crewmen explained. He took down that ship, exclaimed another, pointing to the wreckage of Pinochet's flagship, now listing badly and soon to sink, and sent the third one running. Then a friend of ours he is indeed, the captain replied. And of ours, Drizzt added, turning all eyes back upon him. Even Wolfgar looked curiously at his companion. He had heard the cry to Moradin, but had not dared to hope that it was indeed Brunner Battlehammer rushing to their aid. A red-bearded dwarf, if my guess is correct, Driz continued, and with him a young woman. Wolfgar's jaw dropped open. Brunner, he managed to whisper. Katabri? Driz shrugged. That is my guess. We shall know soon enough, Dordemont assured them. He instructed the crewmen to bring the passengers of the rowboat to his cabin as soon as they came aboard. Then he led Drizzt and Wolfgar away, knowing that on the deck the drow would prove a distraction to his crew, and at this time, with the ship fouled, they had important work to complete. "'What do you mean to do with us?' Wolfgar demanded when Dordemont shut the cabin door. "'We fought for—' Dordemont stopped, the growing tirade with a calming smile. "'You certainly did,' he acknowledged." I only wish I had such mighty sailors on every voyage south. Surely then the pirates would flee whenever the sea sprite broke the horizon. Wolfgar eased back from his defensive posture. My deception was not intended to bring harm, Drizzt said somberly, and only my appearance was a lie. I require passage to the south to rescue a friend. That much remains true. Dordemont nodded, but before he could answer, a knock came on the door, and a sailor peeked in. "'Begging your pardon,' he began. "'What is it?' asked Dordemont. "'We follow your every step, Captain, you know that,' the sailor stammered. "'But we thought we should let you know our feelings on the elf.' Dordemont considered the sailor, and then drizzed for a moment. He'd always been proud of his crew. Most of the men had been together for many years— but he seriously wondered how they would come through this dilemma. "'Go on,' he prompted, stubbornly holding his trust in his men. "'Well, we know he's a drow,' the sailor began, "'and we know what that means.' He paused, weighing his next words carefully. Drizzt held his breath in anticipation. He had been down this route before. "'But them two? They pulled us through a bad jam there!' The sailor blurted out all of a sudden. We wouldn't have gotten through without him. So, you want them to remain aboard? Dordemont asked, a smile growing across his face. His crew had come through once again. Aye, the sailor replied heartily. To a man, and we're proud to have him. Another sailor, the one who had challenged Drizzt at the plank just a few minutes before, poked his head in. I was scared. That's all, he apologized to Drizzt. Overwhelmed, Drizzt hadn't found his breath yet. He nodded his acceptance of the apology. See you on deck then, said the second sailor, and he disappeared out the door. We just thought you should know, the first sailor told Dordemont, and then he too was gone. They are a fine crew, Dordemont said to Drizzt and Wolfgar when the door had closed. And what are your thoughts?
Wolfgar had to ask. I judge a man, elf, by his character, not his appearance, Dortemont declared. And on that subject, keep the mask off, Drizduarden. You are a far handsomer sort without it. Not many would share that observation, Drizzt replied. On the sea sprite, they would, roared the captain. Now the battle is won, but there is much to be done. I suspect that your strength would be appreciated at the prow, mighty barbarian. We have to get these ships unfouled and moving before the third pirate comes back with more of his friends. And you, he said to Driz with a sneaky smile. I would think that no one could keep a shipload of prisoners in line better than you. Drizzt pulled the mask off of his head and tucked it in his pack. There are advantages to the color of my skin, he agreed, shaking the gnarls out of his white locks. He turned with Wolfgar to leave, but the door burst in before them. Nice blade, elf, said Brunner Battlehammer, standing in a puddle of seawater. He tossed the magical scimitar to Drizzt. Find a name for it, will ya? Blade like that be needin' a name. Good for a cook and a pig roastin'. Or a dwarf hunting dragons, Driz remarked. He held the scimitar reverently, remembering again the first time he had seen it lying in the dead dragon's hoard. Then he gave it a new home in the scabbard that had held the normal blade, thinking his old one a fitting companion for Twinkle. Brunner walked up to his drow friend and clasped his wrist firmly. When I saw your eyes looking out for me from the gorge, the dwarf began softly, fighting back a choke that threatened to break his voice apart. Sure and then, I knew that me other friends would be safe. But they are not, Drizzt replied. Regis is in dire peril. Brunner winked. We'll get him back, Elf. No stinking assassin's going to put an end to Rumblebelly. He clenched the drow's arm tightly one final time and turned to Wolfgar, the lad he had ushered into manhood. Wolfgar wanted to speak out but could find no path for the words beyond the lump in his throat. Unlike Drizzt, the barbarian had no idea that Brunner might still be alive, and seeing his dear mentor, the dwarf would become as a father to him back from the grave and standing before him was simply too much for him to digest. He grabbed Brunner by the shoulders just as the dwarf was about to say something and hoisted him up, locking him in a great bear hug. It took Brunner a few seconds of wiggling to get loose enough to draw breath. If you'd squeezed the dragon like that, the dwarf coughed, I wouldn't have had to ride it down the gorge. Canterbury walked through the door, soaking wet, with her auburn hair matted to her neck and shoulders. Behind her came Pinochet, drenched and humbled. Her eyes first found the gaze of Drizzt, locking the drow in a silent moment of emotion that went deeper than simple friendship. Well met, she whispered. Good it is to look upon Drizzt to Arden again. Me heart's been with you all along. Drizzt cast her a casual smile and turned his lavender eyes away. Somehow, I knew that you would join our quest before it was through, he said. Well met, then, and welcome along. Caterbury's gaze drifted past the drow to Wolfgar. Twice she had been separated from the man, and both times when they had met again, Caterbury was reminded how much she'd come to love him. Wolfgar saw her too. Droplets of seawater sparkled on her face, but they paled next to the shine of her smile. 
The barbarian, his stare never leaving Caterbury, eased Bruner back to the floor. Only the embarrassment of youthful love kept them apart at that moment, with Drizzt and Bruner looking on. Captain Dordemont, said Drizzt. I give you Bruner Battlehammer and Caterbury, two dear friends and fine allies. And we brought you a present, Bruner chuckled. Seeing as we got no money to pay for your passage... Bruner walked over, grabbed Pinochet by the sleeve, and pulled the man front and center. Captain of the ship I burned, be me guess. Welcome to both of you, Dordemont replied, and I assure you that you have more than earned your passage. The captain moved to confront Pinochet, suspecting the man's importance. Do you know who I am? The pirate said in a huff, thinking that he now had a more reasonable person to deal with than the surly dwarf. You are a pirate. Dordemont replied calmly. Pinochet cocked his head to study the captain. A sly smile crossed his face. You've perhaps heard of Pinochet? Dordemont had thought and feared that he recognized the man when Pinochet had first entered the cabin. The captain of the sea sprite had indeed heard of Pinochet. Every merchant along the sword coast had heard of Pinochet. I demand that you release me and my men, the pirate blustered. In time... Dordemont replied, Drizzt, Bruner, Wolfgar, and Caterbury, not understanding the extent of the influence of the pirates, all looked at Dordemont in disbelief. I warn you that the consequences of your actions will be dire, Pinochet continued, suddenly gaining the upper hand in the confrontation. I am not a forgiving man, nor are my allies. Drizzt, whose own people commonly bend to the tenets of justice to fit rules of station, understood the captain's dilemma at once. Let him go, he said. Both of his magical scimitars came out in his hands, twinkle glowing dangerously. Let him go, and give him a blade. Neither am I forgiving. Seeing the horrified look the pirate gave the drow, Bruner was quick to join in. Aye, captain, let the dog free, the dwarf scowled. I only kept his head on his shoulders to give you a living gift. If you don't want him. Bruner pulled his axe from his belt and swung it easily at the end of his arm. Wolfgar didn't miss the point. Bare hands and up the mast, the barbarian roared, flexing his muscles so they seemed they would burst. The pirate and me, let the winner know the glory of victory and let the loser drop to his death. Pinochet looked at the three crazed warriors, then almost pleading for help, he turned back to Dordemont. Aye, you're missing all the fun, Caterbury grinned, not to be left out. Where's the sport in one of you tearing the pirates apart? Give him a little boat and set him off. Her sprightly face turned suddenly grim, and she cast a wicked glare at Pinochet. Give him a boat, she reiterated, and let him dodge me silver arrows. Very well, Captain Pinochet. Dordemont began, barely hiding a chuckle. I would not invoke the rage of the pirates. You are a free man and may go where you choose. Punishet snapped around, face to face with Dordemont. Or, continued the captain of the sea sprite, you and your crew can remain in my hold under my personal protection until we reach port. You cannot control your crew, the pirates spat. They are not my crew. 
Tordemont replied, and if these four choose to kill you, I dare say that I could do little to deter them. It is not the way of my people to let our enemies live. Trist interjected in a tone so callous that it sent shivers through the spines of even his closest friends. Yet, I need you, Captain Dordemont, and your ship. He sheathed his blades in a lightning-quick movement. I will let the pirate live in exchange for the completion of our arrangements. The hold, Captain Pinochet? Dordemont asked, waving two of his crewmen in an escort to the pirate leader. Pinochet's eyes were back on Drizzt. If you ever sail this way again, the stubborn pirate began ominously. Brunner kicked him in the behind. Wag your tongue again, dog, the dwarf roared. And surein, I'll cut it out. Pinochet left quietly with Dordemont's crewmen. Later that day, while the crew of the Sea Sprite continued its repairs, the reunited friends retired to Drizzt and Wolfgar's cabin to hear of Brunner's adventures in Mithril Hall. Stars twinkled in the evening sky, and still the dwarf went on, talking of the riches he had seen, of the ancient and holy places he'd come across in his homeland, of his many skirmishes with Dorgar patrols, and his final daring escape through the great undercity. Caterbury sat directly across from Brunner, watching the dwarf through the swaying flame of the single candle burning on the table. She'd heard his story before, but Brunner could spin a tale as well as any, and she leaned forward in her chair, mesmerized once again. Wolfgar, with his long arms draped comfortably over her shoulders, had pulled his chair up behind her. Drizzt stood by the window and gazed at the dreamy sky. How like the old times it all seemed, as if they had somehow brought a piece of Icewind Dale along with them. Many were the nights that the friends had gathered to swap tales of their pasts or just enjoy the quiet of the evening together. Of course, a fifth member had been with the group then, and always with an outlandish tale that outdid all the others. Driz looked at his friends and then back to the night sky, thinking, hoping, of a day when the five friends would be rejoined. A knock on the door made the three at the table jump. So engrossed were they, even Brunner, in the dwarf's story. Drizzt opened the door, and Captain Dordermont walked in. Greetings, he said politely. I would not interrupt, but I have some news. Just getting to the good part, Brunner grumbled. But it'll get better with a bit of waiting. I've spoken with Pinochet once again, said Dordermont. He is a very prominent man in this land, and it does not fit well that he is up here with three ships to stop us. He was after something. Us, Drizzt reasoned. He said nothing directly, replied Dordemont, but I believe that to be the case. Please understand that I cannot press him too far. Bah, I'll get the dog a-barkin, Brunner buffed. No need, said Drizzt. The pirates had to be looking for us. But how could they know? Dordemont asked. Bowls of fire over Boulder's Gate, Wolfgar reasoned. Dordemont nodded, remembering the display. It would seem that you have attracted some powerful foes. The men we seek knew that we would come into Boulder's Gate, said Drizzt. He even left a message for us. It would not have been difficult for the likes of Artemis and Trerry to arrange a signal detailing how and when we left. Or to arrange the ambush, Wolfgar said grimly. So it would seem, said Dordemont. 
Driz kept quiet, but suspected differently. Why would Entreri lead them all this way, only to have them killed by pirates? Someone else had entered the picture, Driz knew, and he could only guess that that person was Pasha Pook himself. But there are other matters we must discuss, said Dordemont. The sea sprite is seaworthy, but we have taken serious damage, as has the pirate ship we have captured. Do you mean to sail them both out of here? Wolfgar asked. Aye, replied the captain. We shall release Pinochet and his men when we get to port. They will take the vessel from there. Pirates deserve worse, Brunner grumbled. And will this damage slow our journey? Drizzt asked, more concerned with their mission. It will, Dordemont replied. I am hoping to get us to the kingdom of Kalimshan, to Memnon, just beyond the tether border. Our flag will aid us in the desert kingdom. There we may dock and repair. For how long? Dordemont shrugged. A week, perhaps. Maybe more. We'll not know until we can properly assess the damage. And another week after that to sail around the Horn to Kalimport. The four friends exchanged disheartened and worried glances. How many days did Regis have left to live? Could the halfling afford the delay? But there is another option, Dordemont told them. The journey from Memnon to Kalimport by ship, around the city of Teshburl and into the Shining Sea, is much longer than the straight land route. Caravans depart for Kalimport nearly every day, and the journey, though a hard one through the Kalim Desert, takes but a few days. We have little gold for passage, said Canterbury. Dordemont waved that problem away. A minor cost, he said. Any caravan heading through the desert would be glad to have you along as guards, and you have earned ample reward from me to get you through. He jiggled a bag of gold strapped to his belt. Or, if you choose, you may remain with the sea sprite for as long as you wish. How long to Memnon? Drizd asked. It depends on how much wind our sails can hold, replied Dordemont. Five days, perhaps a week. Tell us of this Callum desert, said Wolfgar. What is a desert? A barren land, replied Dordemont grimly, not wanting to understate the challenge that would be before them if they chose that course. An empty wasteland of blowing, stinging sand and hot winds, where monsters rule over men, and many an unfortunate traveler has crawled to his death to be picked clean by vultures. The four friends shrugged away the captain's grim description. Except for the temperature difference, it sounded like home.